How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, okay, y'all got energy today. I love it. If you don't know me and I'm a stranger to you, my name is Malik. I currently serve as one of the pastors here, specifically the pastor in residence here at Greenhouse Church, South Florida. And I'm excited to be hopping in and continuing this series with you guys. Everybody say, open heaven. Open heaven. One more time, open heaven. open heaven. All right, listen, all right, so we're continuing this open heaven series as we journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, if you don't know what a Corinthian is or if you don't own a Bible, that's fine. I'm gonna recap you real quick. So, our brothers and sisters in Corinth, it's a church a couple thousand years ago. We're just, we'll call them messy. Our Corinthian brothers and sisters were very messy people, right? Like every couple chapters, Paul is yelling at them about something. They're the only church in the Bible at the last letter that they get sent, the problem isn't resolved, right? Like they are toe up from the flow up, right? Like if I could for a minute, they're raggedy and ratchet. Like they are a very interesting type of people. These are our brothers and sisters in the church of Corinth. If you're here a few weeks ago, Pastor John let us know that Corinth, to be a Corinthian became a verb. And it became a verb for doing things that we would just list them as unsavory. If you were a person that was unscrupulous in your dealings or an unsavory person or a person who just did whatever you wanted to whenever you wanted to, you were a Corinthian, even if you weren't from Corinth. So they became a verb, and this week we're going to talk a little bit about one of the issues that they have, but before I get ahead of myself, jump to your feet for me, please. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 26 to 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verses 26 to 31. I'll read it. It says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our boast. You are the greatest thing in and outside of the universe. So, Father, as we sit today to hear what your word is teaching to us, open our hearts, open our minds, open our understanding to hear you. And, Father, decrease me so that you may increase. Above all, Jesus, help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have your seats. Thank you, guys. So, again, we're back talking about our brothers and sisters in Corinth. And if I could summarize how we got to these verses we read, I would summarize it like this. So the Apostle Paul starts writing this letter, and he, in his Paulian fashion, very tongue-in-cheek, says, hey, guys, a little bit of fake positivity, because that's, you know, a little bit of tongue-in-cheek sarcasm. Paul goes, hey, guys, uh, question. I was at the house one night, and some of Chloe's friends came, and they 
they spilled a little tea, they gave me some interesting news about what you guys have going on here. Paul says, Chloe's friends came to my house and told me that y'all were a very divided church. Number one, let's pause for a second. If you don't know how they kind of sort of got these letters across in the ancient world, someone would stand, they didn't have a printing press, someone would stand and read these letters. Imagine being Chloe. Imagine being in the room and being Chloe and Paul is like, Chloe's people told me that y'all are messed up. And everybody in the room's head turned to Chloe and Chloe was never seen again. Right? And so all of this is happening, and Chloe and Paul goes, you know, Chloe, Chloe's people told me that y'all were boasting, and you guys were proud, and you guys were divided. And then he does something that reminds me why Paul is my favorite Bible writer, because he reminds me of myself. Paul goes, and this confuses me a lot, because y'all don't got nothing to boast about. Right? And then he goes on, he goes through this list. Paul says, what? What are you guys divided over? Paul says, as far as my estimation, there is nothing worth being divided over. Paul reminds them and he says, hey, did you forget that God already proved the things the world considers to be smart to be fairly dumb? Paul says, let me remind you that every wise thing you thought you had before you got here turned out to be unwise. Paul says, before you were Christians, you didn't even have anything. Paul says, listen, I don't, Paul's like, Paul gets in a business a little bit. Paul goes, I'm gonna remind you. Before you got here, none of y'all was rich. Before you got here, none of y'all were noble. Before you got here, none of y'all had nothing. You wasn't going to be nothing. And Paul goes on this whole little diatribe. Why? Because there is this innate thing in us that makes us want to boast about something. And honestly, that makes us want to do it very loudly. And if last week John reminded us that division blocks the open heaven, one of the ways we divide is in our boasting in the thing that you hold the dearest and most true to who you are as a person, the thing you're proud of. And it became so ludicrous at the church in Corinth that Paul had to write a letter and send it there. Before they had email, he had to send somebody there with a letter to kind of sort of chew them out a little bit. And Paul says, I don't understand what's going on, and it's almost like their division was blocking their ministry. It's almost like the mission of God gets hindered when we're boasting and ununified, if that could be possible. It's almost like that gets in the way. And so imagine with me for a minute. You're showing up to the Corinthian church, probably at somebody's house. You're showing up as all 50 people packed in this little, small, in this little house, and you walk into the house for the first time. You are completely new to the church thing. And you go in there, and there's a click over there gossiping about the click over here, and there's a click over there gossiping about the click over there. And if that... Let me bring it to modern day. Imagine you show up to Greenhouse Church for a minute. And Pastor John and I are here at the front and we're arguing about our favorite cereal brands. And John and I are heated, like we are beefing because I correctly believe that Cinnamon Toast Crunch is the greatest cereal of all time. Okay, okay, let's do it. Sponsor me. Anyway, so, <laughs> and so imagine you walk in and that's going on, but imagine if that became the whole church. Imagine if you showed up and there's the Cinnamon Toast Crunch crew over here and there's the Fruit Loops fanatics over here and, the, and there's General Mills uh, Mafia over there in the back and there's the Cheerios Cabal over there in the back corner and they're just building. Imagine showing up to a church for the first time and everyone in there hates the other group around them. It's almost like they lived in a polarized society as if that could ever happen again. 
Imagine polarization in a society. And the worst part about it is the reason Paul has to write this letter is because the Corinthian church looked more like the polarized society than the kingdom of God. And so you show up, and there's all these serial wars happening, and you, completely unbeknownst, realize this is a lot. This is, this is dumb. This doesn't even make no sense. Why? Because imagine hating someone over their favorite cereal, right? Like, and if you do really dislike people who like specific cereals, we'll figure that out. But right, we'll pray for you. John will pray for you. But imagine disliking people over their favorite cereal. Ludicrous, isn't it? But imagine disliking people for anything else, really. Paul says that is equally as ludicrous, as ridiculous as it would be for John and I to beef over cereal brands all owned by the same companies, mind you. It would be just as ridiculous for us to have animosity towards a brother or sister over anything. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, God has proven everything you desire to hold dear to be foolish. And this is a hard message because it hurts us because we identify with things. And so the Cinnamon Toast Crunch crew becomes, and they are Cinnamon Toast Crunchians, and that, and that is who they are, and it becomes their identity. And the Fruit Loops fanatics, they have that as their identity, and they have Fruit Loops hanging from their rearview mirrors, and they have Fruit Loops on their wall in their house because it has become their identity. And when we let anything outside of who Jesus Christ is become our identity, I will give you a little bit of a trick and a secret, it will crumble. Just like how cereal goes stale, if your identity isn't anything else, it will begin to grow stale. And that's what happened to our brothers and sisters in the church in Corinth. Paul says, listen, not, not many of you guys had this figured out. Not many of you guys had amounted to anything, but yet everything you're doing is division and it's divisive. But Paul does something. He gets them to do a little bit of an exercise that I think would benefit us today. Paul gets them to do an exercise, and I'll read this verse for you. Paul gets them to do this exercise, and he says, in verse 20, hasn't God turned the wisdom of the world into nonsense? He says, hey, hey, didn't God already prove this doesn't make sense? A question I think that would be beautiful for us to ask ourselves whenever we cling too closely to something. Hasn't God already proven this is nonsense? And if division blocks the open heaven, and if boasting in things that are not Jesus Christ blocks heaven from moving in our lives and, and, and increases our distance from God, boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ does the exact opposite. Boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ honestly opens heaven in your life, honestly, Heaven is most open where Christ is most exalted. If you want a big idea for today, that is where it is. Heaven is most open when Christ is most exalted. What does this mean, Pastor Malik? God is moving most in your life when you are making the most of Jesus. Anytime Jesus diminishes and he becomes number two, he isn't open in your life. When he's number three, he isn't open in your life. When Jesus becomes the most important thing to you, heaven opens in your life. And this isn't a religion. This is the truth. Whenever we let Jesus become the center of who we are 
it produces miraculous results. But, you see, it's not just cereals we boast about. It's our favorite news pundits we boast about. It's whatever animal represents your political party that we boast about. It's our opinions, it's our philosophies, it's all this, these things that get tangled up in our identity. And they breed division in our lives. But what's worst about this division, what's worse about boasting in things other than the cross is it breeds a division between you and God, not just you and other people. Why? Because anything we boast in above Jesus is a word we don't use very much these days. It's an idol. Anything we are willing to shout from the mountaintops about above Jesus is an idol. The word exalt I used earlier, let's just use its synonym, praise. Anything we exalt or praise outside of Jesus Christ is in and of itself an idol. And it happens to all of us. And we do it. And Paul reminds us that didn't God already prove that the wisdom of the world was very unwise? Didn't he prove it was foolishness? Haven't we seen through time and history all the things human beings have boasted about actually turn out to be nothing? Right? And if you're not a historian, I'll walk you through really quickly. Haven't we seen social media influencers who were marriage goals become the type of marriages we did not want? See, I remember my friend J. Cole, he said he wanted that Will and Jada love. Ugh. And now Will and Jada are the only reason I know what an entanglement is. Right? No, see, see what happens, right? It happens. It, don't we have enough politicians who promise things and break those promises or who stand against things in public that they do themselves in private? If that wasn't enough, don't we have enough finance gurus on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, X, Twitter, threads, whatever it is, that have been arrested for money laundering and fraud? But I thought, I thought they were the, the kings of Wall Street who were robbing people this whole time. You see, because anything in this life is fleeting and it's fickle. There is no one here who has done anything perfectly, yet these are the things we boast in. Imagine what happens when the thing you boast in, your idol, crumples to the ground. When the marriage you decided to emulate fizzles. And if you've realized anything, a lot of them fizzling. When the finance guru gets arrested and they have to change the name of the Miami Heat Arena. Right? All of this stuff. And these are the things we choose to boast in. These things that won't last very long. And this becomes painful. And it becomes painful to realize because when our identity is tied to something that in and of itself will end, when that things end, we lose ourselves. When our identity is tied to all this other stuff, when our presidential candidate loses, we lose our minds. When our presidential candidate wins, we lose our minds. And it sleeps its way into the church because we are more concerned about the here and the now than about the then about the kingdom that is to come, and it ruins us from the inside out. My friends, there is nothing in this world worth boasting about. Nothing. Name it. Name your favorite thing. Show me a philosopher whose hot takes have lasted the, the span of centuries. 
Show me a nation that has stood the test of time. Show me a country that has never lost a battle. Show me a philosophy that has proven to be true. Show me a book that is without error. Show me a lifestyle that has proven to be the most beneficial. List it. I would dare you. I bet you don't got none. Even your favorite people, Google their real life. Your favorite person, read a history book about some of our most lauded individuals. And we will see that their accomplishments were good, but they might not have been. Whoever they are, they pale in comparison. And so we boast in countries that have lost wars instead of a God who's never lost the battle. We boast in books that have been proven to be incorrect instead of a book that is without error. And we've proven it. If you don't believe me, talk to me after service. I got some history for you. Why? Because, you see, we like to boast in things. And what makes the cross difficult is there's nothing to boast in in the cross. What makes it difficult is it celebrates us doing nothing and someone else doing everything. And we can't take credit for that. So we would much rather take credit for something we think we can take credit for. We would much rather take credit for things than to hitch our, our wagons on something that is eternal. My friends, I submit to you again that there is nothing worth boasting in. And Paul goes down in the verses we read earlier in 26, and Paul says, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful or wealthy when God called you. If God proved that the wisdom of the world was fleeting and futile, Boasting in your own works is equally as fleeting and futile. Boasting in what you bring to the table, your Ivy League degree, all that stuff doesn't really matter. Why? Because if your school, God forbid, closes, you went to a fake school. That school wouldn't even exist no more. And I don't know if you realize what's happening in education, but a lot of schools are closing. And so all of this stuff that we hitch our wagons on and and Paul says, hey, no matter who you are, no matter what you bring to the table, it's not worth boasting in, in God's presence. Why? Because no matter who you are, Romans reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you think you're perfect, you really don't. If you think you don't have a fault, you know you do. There has not been a single sinless person in history, except for this one dude, but we'll talk about him later. You see, there has been no one who can stand in the presence of God who can have anything to boast about. So no, the reason Paul is confused is because Paul is saying, what are you boasting so boldly about? Because I don't think it actually adds up. You see, the thing we're supposed to boast in is hard to boast in because it presents us with this dual reality. The thing we are supposed to be proud of is hard to be proud of because it presents us with these two things. See, if we're supposed to boast, we're only supposed to boast in the cross. The cross makes it hard to boast in because when you look at the cross, you're reminded that you are imperfect. You're reminded that your very existence necessitated a savior. You're reminded that no matter your efforts, you couldn't get it to work. And the cross makes us have to look in the mirror and understand that reality. And for some of us, boasting in our weaknesses ain't it. Boasting in the thing you are the, the worst at is not what you want to do. And so we don't boast in the cross, but you see, we get stuck at step one and don't move to the truth of the reality. In the cross, we are reminded 
that we are more loved than we could ever imagine. You see, the God of the universe sent his only begotten son to die for you, not to fall asleep, not to pass out, to literally die for you. And you see, this cross, the message of the cross, the reason we boast so boldly in it, and we should, is not because it's just this thing on a chain that Pastor Malik wears on his neck sometimes. No, it's, it's, it's bigger, it's grander than this. The message of the cross isn't a symbol, it is a reality. The reality is that God loved you so much, he recognized your faults, your failures, your shortcomings, also recognized you had no ability to fix it, and decided to fix it himself. Hebrew says because he could swear by none greater, he swore by himself. And because he knew that you dying on a cross would do nothing but send you to a, a hell, honestly, he decided to send his son to live a sinless life for you. Why do we boast in the cross? Because it doesn't hinge on our ability to do anything. We can boast in the cross because it is the solution to all of our problems. And you see, it's hard to do because it requires us to admit some things about ourselves. And we have to stop boasting in all the things we hold near and dear. And I don't say this as someone who has a good track record of only boasting in the cross. I say it as someone who is often led astray by my own desires, my own thoughts, my own theology, my own isms, my own preferences. And I begin to boast boldly in things that don't matter. You see, I don't say this as somebody who hasn't figured out. I say it as somebody who has learned the hard way that boasting and anything but the cross doesn't really make sense. You see, me and my friends, we used to be up until 3 o'clock in the morning in Bible college debating tertiary issues. And some of those debates were fun. And some of them were very divisive, and we shouldn't have been doing it. And you see, I engage in those things because... Like a lot of us, there is something in me that finds the cross hard to identify with, but I can identify with being right. And I can always choose being right over being righteous. And you see, that, that's the thing for me. What is it for us? Is it our political ideology? Is it the way we think the world or the church or the economy should be run? Is it our favorite pundit news channel or lack thereof? Is it the fact that we are political or the fact that we are apolitical? What is it that we are boasting in? Like me, if it is anything outside of the cross, you will soon realize it's not worth it. So I will save you the time. It's not worth it. If it is any of your opinions, any of your philosophy, any of your ideologies, I submit to you that it's not worth it. There is nothing worth boasting in outside of the cross of Jesus Christ. And you see, it hurts. It hurts because this is something we don't want to do. And that's why Paul ends it. Paul, Paul has to remind the Corinthian church before he gets anywhere else, before he starts talking about spiritual gifts, that the cross is the most important thing. Before he starts talking about the way you should do church, that the cross is the most important thing. And if any of us are so caught up on the things that God does instead of God himself were stuck on the wrong rung of the ladder. You see, the cross is bigger than miracles. It's bigger than signs. Those things point to the cross. And so if we get to the cross, we can skip the things that point to them, but also those things are good. But we do not do it out of order. We keep the cross central. 
The message of the cross is central to Christianity. Without it, our religion is in vain. Without it, everything we feel doesn't make sense. It is the message of the cross. That's why Paul ends it. Paul ends chapter 1 and he says, If you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. I'll break it down. Eugene Peterson's message translation says it like this. If you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. If we are going to be loud about something, it better be Jesus. Because anything else you want to be loud about, let somebody debate you and you'll realize it's not all that it cracked up to be. You see, it better be Jesus. Why? Because why not root for a team that can't lose? No matter your favorite team, they've had a bad season. If you're a Gators fan, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're a Deion Sanders fan, yesterday's game was terrifying. If you're a basketball team, you might have been a fan of the Patriots. You're not now. If you're a basketball fan, you might have been a fan of the Bulls in the 90s. You're not now. Why? Because nothing has proven to be invincible. Your favorite team, ideology, government will fail. But there is a king. It's almost like he knew. There is a solution to the problem, and he knew it could be him. You see, he existed before time itself. The Bible says he is outside of time. This will blow your mind, but he created time, and this king cannot lose. I dare you to name a battle that is lost. I dare you to name a mountain that is too high. I dare you to name a valley that is too low. Why not boast in something that cannot go wrong? Why boasting things? Listen, put all your money in the stock market. You're going to lose some of it. Put all your trust in Jesus and it will come back tenfold. Listen, give him everything. And if you have never gotten to know him, if you have never seen him, you might consider the things that the Bible tells us to boast and to be a little backwards. You see, to a watching world thousands of years ago, a cross wasn't the thing you would boast in. It was the worst way to die. The worst of criminals died on a cross. If you died on a cross, your family was ashamed of you. They didn't mention your name. No one talked about you. You, in your death, even became a leper and a pariah. It's almost like our modern-day electric chair, but worse. Because you see, on a cross, we're reminded of this on Calvary, everybody stands to watch it. And everybody sees how broken you are. And to the watching world, then it wasn't something to boast in as much as it's nothing to boast in now. And it's hard to boast in it because it is contrary to everything the world tells us. You see, the message of the cross says to feed the hungry, to care for the orphan and the widow. The message of the cross says to give to the poor, in a world that tells you to keep hustling and to keep grinding, the message of the cross is completely the antithesis of it. For those who, when the world says you like, hold grudges, don't forgive anybody, the message of the cross says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. In a world that tells you to keep working, to strive, to attain, to get rich, the message of the cross says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Restrain yourself. Riches disappear in the blink of an eye. Wealth sprouts wings and flies off into the wild blue yonder. In a world that is telling you to accumulate riches and to make sure you have all your assets identified, please do it. That's good stewardship. But the cross says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth 
where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You see, it may be foolishness to a watching world, but it is a better way of life. Science and neurology and psychology will tell us clinging to temporal things does something bad to your brain. Storing up, having your affections, being identified with your riches does something bad to your brain. You see, it's the reason why the true saying is money actually can't buy happiness. And there's a quotient to which it can. And that quotient is a lot lower than you think it is. It's barely six figures. And once you hit that number, they say your happiness will diminish the more money you get. You see, because it doesn't solve the problem. There is nothing we can boast in that will solve the problem. I submit to you that we should live lives that do everything to make much of Jesus. And this isn't just evangelistic, but in the way you wake up in the morning, live a life that does much to make much of Jesus. He becomes the central figure in your life. Why? Because there is nothing worth rotating around outside of Jesus. There is nothing worth having at the center of your orbit outside of Jesus. Try it. Try it for a week and let me know if it worked. Try having your hope in things eternal and let me know if it works. I guarantee you it will. And we have to ask ourselves the question, well, what does this look like practically, Pastor Malik? You yell a lot. That color looks like somebody's grandmama's couch. I don't really know what you're talking about. But what does this mean for us? What this means is I would like us to get in the habit of asking ourselves this one question. Every week, every day almost, whenever the period looks best for you, ask yourself this question on a weekly, monthly basis, whatever. What am I most passionately communicating about? At the end of a day, sit down on your couch in front of your TV and ask yourself the question, what did I most passionately communicate about today? Because you see, that's what both thing and something is, isn't it? It is the passionate communication of something. And I think asking this question will help us to realign ourselves. Like, what did I spend most of my day talking about? What did I spend most of my day thinking about? What did I rest on today? If it's not the message of the cross, I submit to you to try something else. And this is vital and important, and it is the center of Christianity in and of itself. It is the cross. Around the world today, our Jewish brothers and sisters are celebrating this evening a time known as Yom Kippur. It is, honestly, what they consider to be the most sacred and holy day of their calendar. Yom Kippur is just the day of atonement. It is a day that symbolizes God's forgiveness. You see, thousands of years ago, they would cut the blood of an animal and drip it on the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was in the tabernacle in the temple where the people of God worshipped. And when the blood hit it, it would symbolize God's forgiveness for them. And their sins would be forgiven for the whole year. And this is a high and holy day because it is reverent to remember the sacrifice. But we today remember the sacrifice on a cross. You remember that Jesus bled and died for us. 
see, the Bible calls him our great high priest. He went in and died for us. And worship team, y'all can come on up here. And he died until death itself stopped. And he died until the grave let loose every captive it had. And he died once and for all. We glory in the message of the cross because it celebrates a finished work. Your sins, when Jesus died on the cross, were not forgiven for the next year. They were forgiven for eternity. And when we say eternity, we just don't mean your past sins were forgiven by Jesus. We don't just mean your present sins were forgiven by Jesus. But his atonement was big and bad enough to forgive all of your future sins. Why do we boast in the cross? Because it is on the cross that God removed the blame from us and placed it on Jesus himself. Why do we boast in the cross? Because the cross gives us eternal life, but not just eternal life. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Other translations would say he came so that, he, that we could have life and live life to the full. Do you want a full life? Do you want an abundant life? I cannot promise you that you won't have problems. I cannot promise you that it will be smooth sailing. But I can promise you one thing. You can hitch your life to someone who cannot lose. Why? Because Jehovah Nisi actually does fight your battles. And why? Because Jehovah Jireh actually does meet your needs. And why? Because he is your banner. Why? Because he is your friend. Do you know Jesus? And if you do know him, is he the central theme of your life? Or like me, are you prone to wander? It's okay. None of us are going to be perfect. Even the greatest Christians throughout history have failed at this. Peter failed at this and engaged in bigotry. Paul failed at this. Anyone outside of Jesus is going to fail at this. But what matters is when we remove him from the center, we notice it and we put him right back. So in the morning, if you wake up or at night when you get home and you had a bad day, if when you ask yourself the question and you did communicate more boldly about something, cool, no sweat off his back. I said he forgave the sins. You already did. So put him back at the center. Every day, put him back at the center. In your family, parents, put him at the center. Singles in your searching, put him at the center. College students in your life, put him at the center. I don't care what you do. I don't care who it is. I don't care what your battle is. Put him at the center and watch everything begin to rotate around his will and his command. Why do we rotate around the sun? Because it's gravitational pull. It's just so strong. I bet you that there's a stronger gravitational pull. I bet you that if you put him at the center, everything will begin to line up. Does your life seem out of whack? Put him at the center and watch things become straight. Is your heart knotted and torn between two opinions? Put him at the center and watch him work it out. Church, if you never hear from me again, the message I submit to you is this. Jesus at the center of it all. Name something. It's too small. Name a problem you think you can't fix. It's too small. Name a pain that's been racking your body. He can fix it. What can't Jesus do? What do you have to lose by trusting him?
really, if you're new to God, if you're new to faith, if you're new to spirituality, I invite you to just try. And by try, I don't mean work. I mean say, hey, Jesus, you can see I'm a mess. Can you do something? You see, a prayer as simple as that can change the trajectory of your life. I invite you to welcome him into your heart. If you used to have a spiritual background and you don't, I invite you to welcome him into your heart. If you pray every day, I invite you to welcome him into your heart. Let him become the Lord of all the kingdoms of your life. And we will realize that it was worth it. You see, church, I talked a lot about exalting Jesus, and I think it's what we should dedicate our lives to being. But the worship team is up here, and I want us to engage in musical exaltation. I want us to put to practice the thing I'm asking you to do. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to wait till money. I want to see us. I want to see us do it now. So can we stand to our feet for a second? We're going to sing a song. And if you don't know the song, sing whatever words God puts on your heart. If you don't know Jesus, as we're singing and you don't know this song, say, hey, God, I'm already at church. I might as well give you a shot. But I invite us to sing this song like we do exalt him. I invite us to sing this song like he actually is the center of our existence. And as an introvert, I could be like, well, I don't like singing loud. Give it a shot. Let it out. If there's anything worth being extroverted about, it's Jesus. Right? So this isn't hype. This isn't emotion. Honestly, I'm too tired for any of that, and my knees hurt from standing for 30 minutes. So we don't have time for hype and emotion. But this is worship. And I invite you to worship. If you're wondering why I'm asking for you to give it all you've got, because if we're going to heaven, I believe we are. It's what we will be doing for eternity. So we might as well practice now. Let's sing, church.
go back to that verse. Tell them we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We exalt you. We lift you up. We lift you up. Oh, Jesus, we lift it high. 
I could have our prayer partners come forward, please. Church, as we leave this place this week, I quote the words of Paul two times when he tells us and he examples for us how we are to live lives that point back to Jesus. It's Paul saying, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Paul continues in Galatians, and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I invite us to live a crucified life. A life where we live for the Son of God more than we live for ourselves. If you're in this room today and you just want prayer, no, nothing specific, but you know that you really would love someone to pray with you, to partner with you in something, I invite you to come forward. I invite you to give God a shot. If you are investigating God, faith, and spirituality and just want to talk to someone about what it could look like to follow Jesus. Don't even put a label on it, just what it would look like to follow Jesus. I invite you, we'll have a conversation with you. No one's going to make you make a decision. But we do want to help you explore that together and get you to where you want to be. Church, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you for being the one in whom we live, move, and have our being. We thank you for being the source of the sun's light. We thank you for being everything to us and so much more. God, help us to live lives that aren't polarized by society. Help us to live lives that are circling you, God. Help us to live lives that orbit around you. Help the words we sang today, we exalt thee to become the prayer of our heart, not just a song that we sing. And we will be sure to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name.